So this morning, we're continuing a teaching series called The World According to Jesus, where we're walking through Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5. And in this sermon, we get Jesus' unique take on all kinds of practical things. Uh, He talks about relationships, he talks about money, he talks about success, and today he's going to talk about anger and how you treat your enemies. Enemies and anger according to Jesus. Now, what I've found in my oh-so-many years of life is that there are three types of, of angry people in this world. There are exploders, there are stewers, and there are deniers. Exploders, stewers, and deniers. Uh, People who explode in anger, exploders, they get angry quickly, and they get angry often, and they get angry loudly. Now, the good news about exploders is that their memory is as short as their fuse. And then there are stewers. There are people who, it takes a lot to get them angry, but when they do get angry, they hold it deep down inside, and they brood over it until it's rolling in a boil, and then it comes out of them. And they're plotting their revenge against the people who's hurt them. And then there are the deniers. These are the people who go to great lengths to convince others and to convince themselves that they're never, ever angry about anything. They could contract COVID-19 and they'd be walking around telling people like, you know what, I needed some me time anyway. And then these are the people that end up going crazy. So which one are you? Are you an exploder? Are you a stewer? Or are you a denier? And, And when was the last time someone or something had you exploding or stewing and denying in a significant way? When was it for you? For me, when you ask me that question, there, there's one scenario from a couple years ago that comes to mind for me. I was, I was scheduled to take a flight. I was actually on the plane headed to, to a speaking engagement. And the, the airline was, was so delayed. The airline show were name, nameless, but it rhymes with American Airlines. And <laughs> it was so delayed that I actually missed my speaking engagement. And you're just sitting there in the seat and you're, you're, you're just boiling over with anger. And the most frustrating thing is that there's no one to yell at. There's no one to yell at and not get arrested when you're sitting on a plane. So what about you? When was the last time you were just full of anger in whatever form it takes for you? Now, would you be surprised to learn that Jesus has a lot, and I mean a lot, to say about your anger in its various forms and how you treat the people that you blame for it? Let me just rehash some of what we've heard and throw in a little extra. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 39, Jesus says this, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now go backward to verse 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. And then from verses 43 through 45, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
There's this phrase that Jesus loves that you should be familiar with by now as we've been studying Matthew chapter 5. It's this phrase, you have heard it said. And it's an indicator that Jesus is about to rock your world of understanding. It's a sign that he is about to upend or confront the cultural and personal assumptions about how God works. And and that's actually a part of Jesus' role as Savior, is to upend and rewrite your personal and our cultural assumptions about who God is and how his kingdom works. In Jesus' day, there was something called the law of retaliation, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And these words come straight from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. These were words given by God to the leaders of the Old Testament church so that they might establish just laws, so that they might understand that punishments should fit the crime and not be excessive beyond the bounds of what the crime was. But these words from Deuteronomy, they seeped into everyday personal life so that people walked around saying, hey, whatever's done to you, you have the right to do that to them. And you fast forward 2,000 years, and guess what? Not much has changed. We still believe that that's the case. I said earlier that there are three types of angry people. I believe that there are three types of enemies that you can have. There are true enemies, there are haters, and then there are just idiots. There are true enemies, there are haters, and then there are idiots. True enemies is someone who is like your actual arch nemesis. And and very few people actually have, I would argue, true enemies. People who are out for your destruction. They are out to get you. Few people actually have those. If there's someone with a curly handlebar mustache hiding behind every corner trying to kill you, call somebody, okay? What a lot of us have are haters, These are people who are overly critical of you, or they're perpetually jealous of you. They're constantly competing against you. And then what all of us deal with are idiots. These are people whose general stupidity interrupts your otherwise awesome life. This is the person at HEB with two carts full of toilet paper. Idiot. This is the person on I-10 who cuts you off because they're strolling Instagram. Idiot. This is the person at work who who can't do their own job, so it makes more work for you at your job. Idiot. Now, while in our culture, we hate nothing more than a bully or someone who's judgmental, we make a special exemption for when we are the victim of enemies, haters, and idiots. If someone has been an enemy, a hater, or an idiot to you, we allow and we fully justify retaliation towards that person. You are allowed to crush that person. It's as if each one of us in our day and age is walking around with this this warped idea buried in our hearts that says, when I've been wronged, I have the absolute right to feel wronged and to act selfishly in regard to the person who's wronged me. If I've been wronged, I have the right to feel wronged and to act selfishly as a response. It's as if when someone's being an enemy or a hater or an idiot towards you, the universe hands you a retaliation token. And you can either save it for later or spend it right away. But don't be deceived. You have the right to use it. And if anyone says you don't have the right to use it, you just tell them, you don't know what happened to me. And the punishment fits the crime. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, jerk for a jerk. That's the world that we live in. 
And then in steps Jesus, not just to his world in the first century, but to his world today. And he says something opposite. He begins teaching on anger. And he says to the crowd that's listening, you have heard it said. Ding, ding, warning sign. He's about to mess with you. You have heard it said. And the crowd is nodding. Yep, yep, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you, if someone slaps you, don't slap back. Turn and offer them the other cheek. What? Oh, and in case you're ready to pat yourself on the back because you never fight back, get ready. Get ready, I've got teaching for you too. The desire to destroy is as detestable in the eyes of God as actually destroying someone else. The one who secretly hates and quietly stews is the same in the eyes of God as the one who hits and the one who kills. And all of a sudden, every jaw in Jerusalem hit the dirt. Well, if this is true, then we are all guilty. We're all guilty. Jesus does not let his hearers then off the hook. What he's doing is he's, he's giving them the full weight of God's law. He's putting the law upon them, God's expectation upon them. And we expect Jesus to say to the world, you know, you know look, when somebody wrongs you, don't be excessive. We, we expect Jesus to simply encourage restraint with our enemies. But instead what Jesus does is he totally reverses the cultural and personal expectation of what we should be allowed to do with the enemies, haters, and idiots in our life. Now, when Jesus said this, I assumed that there was one person in particular among his disciples that struggled with this the most. And, and that person had to have been Peter. See, Peter was a, a Jewish zealot, and the zealots were a group of people who believed that the kingdom of God would be manifest on earth through physical force, in particular by pushing out the Roman occupiers from Jerusalem. And the zealots, Peter was a zealot, the zealots were known for carrying small swords at their side, and they would enter into crowds, they would find Romans, and they would pierce them through the rib cage into their heart and kill them. Zealots were terrorists, in the pure sense of the word. They were motivated politically, and they killed people as a result. And there's one type of person that a zealot hated most of all. Do you know who that person was? A tax collector. Because a tax collector was a fellow Jew who turned his back on his people and started to work for the occupier and was shaking down other Jewish people for money to give to the Romans. And so then what does Jesus do when he's gathering up a group of disciples? He calls Peter the zealot, and then he calls Matthew the tax collector. And he forces them to be on the same team. And so Peter is forced to live with and walk with and talk with this person who in any other circumstance, he would feel completely justified in killing and then he hears Jesus say, look, it's not enough to just not kill the person you don't like. Even your bitter, false kindness towards them is as evil in the eyes of God as you pulling out your sword and stabbing them in the heart. You need to love your enemy and pray for your enemy. That's the expectation of people in the kingdom of God when it comes to their enemies and their haters and the idiots. That's what Jesus says. And in case you're wondering whether or not this applies to you, 
Jesus applies it to you. Whatever your conventional wisdom or your personal assumptions about what you get to do in regard to the people who have wronged you, Jesus upends all of those things. You are not entitled to retribution either, no matter what the culture says. It's not okay for you to hate in your heart so long as it doesn't come out of your lips or, or, or onto your hands. All of that is evil in the eyes of God. Your, your hate-filled or bitter heart is seen as murderous in the eyes of God. And Jesus ups the ante even further in verse 48. He says this, here's my expectation. You must be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. So when it comes to people who wronged you, turn the other cheek. Do not persecute them. Do not hate them. Give them something else to hit and your hands folded in prayer for them. That is my expectation for you. The question for us is, why is Jesus saying this? Why is he setting the standard in regard to the people that we don't like, people who've hurt us, really hurt us? Why is he setting this standard so high? And the reason is twofold, because he knows that it will bless the world and break us. That's why. It will bless and it will break. Look, you and I, we may be entitled culturally to retribution and to bitterness, but if we, if we take what we're allowed in the culture, it won't ever change the culture that we live in. And it will accomplish nothing. You have the right to cancel someone who's hurt you in this culture, but by canceling them, you will accomplish little. Until we, we give up our right to be wronged, peace will never reign. It just won't. Martin Luther King Jr. famously and frequently preached on this section of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, this is a man, as you well know, who received thousands of death threats. His house was firebombed. He was jailed over 20 times. And yet, listen to what he says. He says, hate multiplies hate in a descending spiral of violence. If there's any hope of transforming your enemy, it can only be done by you choosing to love your enemy. Jesus holds us to this high standard because he knows that this is what a broken world needs. And his people should lead the way in giving the world what a broken world needs. Break the cycle, offer peace and prayers and love. But he also knows that it will break you. He's giving you and me the full weight of God's holy expectation, knowing that it will break us open. That's part of the, the purpose of God's expectations, is to convict you of who you are not and who you should be but fail to be. And if you don't believe this, here's my challenge, is for you to go out tomorrow and to, to try and love your enemies, your haters, and the idiots exactly the way Jesus tells you to love them. Pray for them. Let them hurt you. Don't retaliate. Push away the hate in your heart. If you do that, I can tell you this, it will accomplish some beautiful things in this world. But it will also break you open. It will make you painfully aware of your weakness. It will make you mindful of just how angry you get over petty, stupid things. It will remind you that it is impossible for you to ignore virtually any wrong that's done against you. It will break you. 
you'll learn that one of the reasons we get so mad at people who are angry with us and, and people who hate against us is because it threatens our very fragile egos. We know we are not the people we want to be or should be. And when someone's an enemy to us, a hater of us or an idiot towards us, it reminds us of what we're so desperately trying to cover up with every choice, with everything that we do. And that's one of the reasons we get mad at them. And so why would Jesus want to break you? Why would he want to expose you and your inability to love like he calls you to love? Why would he want to break you and expose you? Because he's going to then tell you that he loves you. Once broken open by your inability to love, he's going to meet you with his love. He wants you weak and exposed because he wants you to know that that's who you really are. And that's who he really loves. And maybe you've never heard that in that way before. But, but Jesus does not love you on your best day. He does not love the perfect you or the one who's, who's met all the goals and all the expectations. He doesn't love just the patient you or the prayerful you. He loves the real you. He loves the you that is exposed when you fail to love others. He loves the you that is, that is easily offended and deeply angry. He loves that person. Jesus wants you to know that though we find it impossible to love our enemies, that he loves you who apart from his mercy and grace would be his enemy. Let me say that again. He wants you to know that though you fail to love your enemies, that he loves you who apart from his forgiveness would also be his enemy. You see, months after this teaching, Jesus would stand before lying accusers and he wouldn't accuse back. He would just be silent. And then he would be spat upon and he would be beaten and he would turn the other cheek. And then he would be nailed to a cross. And as he's dying on the cross, he looks at his enemies, the people who are gambling for his clothing, who nailed him to that tree. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus is doing perfectly for his enemies, all of us, what we fail to do for ours. He loved his enemies to the point of death to cover over and forgive your unwillingness to love yours the same. And when you receive that truth and you believe that truth, that Jesus loves you, though you're an enemy, that there, there's freedom and transformation in that truth. Because as, as Martin Luther King Jr., I think, rightly said, the love for an enemy transforms the enemy. Therefore, the love of Christ to us who would otherwise be his enemies transforms us. And the way it transforms us over the course of time is that slowly but sh certainly it transforms us into people who are free. Freer every day from the need to exercise our retaliation token. Free from the need to utilize our right to feel wronged and to get other people back. 
Because what you start to understand is that no matter what this person has done to you, no matter what also is done by you, you are accepted and loved in the eyes of the only one who matters. So no matter what has happened to this from at the hands of this other person, you are still an accepted and loved person. And you are free to treat the world in light of how God has treated you, not in light of how the world has treated you. And that's a freedom that doesn't come easily, but it emerges over time by the power of the Spirit as you come to terms with the fact that you, though an enemy, are loved by Jesus. You, though an enemy, are loved by Jesus. You, though an enemy, are loved by Jesus. So what should you do with your enemies? One of the most powerful pictures of this that I've ever read uh, is from Corey Ten Boom. Most of you are probably familiar with her story. She was a young girl in Nazi Germany, a Christian girl who was who was put into the uh, Nazi war camps. And uh, she suffered some horrible abuse. um, And yes, she survived. And then uh, after she survived, she wrote down her story and she then went around to churches in Germany telling her story of survival. And after one particular moment at a church telling her story of survival, she's standing at the back of the church. There's a big receiving line of people to greet her and thank her afterward. And she sees in the line one of the guards from her prison camp. And she instantly freezes and she starts to feel this this anger and this rage boil within her. And she's thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And finally, this man comes to her and he puts his hand out toward her. And he says, Corey, thank you for your message to think that all of my sins are forgiven. And she says, she was frozen with an uncertainty of what to do. Do I shake his hand? And she said, the only thing I could think to do was to pray, Father, you love me though I am an enemy. Help me to hold this man's hand. And so she extends her hand to him and the two of them touch and Corey Ten Boom writes, she says, something incredible happened. I started to feel love. What? freedom, and transformation. Let me go back to the question I asked you at the beginning. When was the last time you were really, really, really angry in whatever form it takes for you? Think about it. Now hear these words. You have heard it said that you have the right to get even. You have heard it said that it's okay to be bitter towards bad and broken people who've hurt you. But I tell you, love as you have been loved. Forgive as you you have been forgiven. Pray for those who persecute you. And when you are broken open by that truth and you find it impossible, turn your heart and mind to the truth that you though an enemy of God, are loved and forgiven through Jesus Christ, His Son.